right, so today we are having a podcast to talk about some different scenarios that you might come across in the OSHA recordability world and in the workers' compensation world. So I'm Denise Hansberger, and I have been working in the area of workers' compensation for about 25 years. I have experience in the healthcare industry, also in manufacturing facility, and currently in the construction industry. Also, I have a certificate in occupational safety, so both safety for our workers and employees is very important to me. And I've got Don Ellswick here. Hey, thanks, Denise. And I'm a uh, health and safety professor. I teach environmental safety in Ock Health. I have a few board certifications. I am a certified safety professional, and I also have my certified industrial hygienist. So for anyone that's keeping track, the more initials behind my name, I think it wonders if I can really function as a health and safety guy. But I think today we'll have some fun with our conversation. Like Denise, I have about 30 years of experience, government, high-speed manufacturing, and also food service. Yeah, people, I can't keep a job, and we'll have some people go through that. So with all that said, our next part, is Carl Havacost. Carl, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. I have uh, similarly have about 27 or 28 years of experience in workers' compensation and safety law. I have a certification from the Ohio State Bar Association in workers' compensation law, certifications, a couple of different certifications in safety area, 30-hour certifications from OSHA in both general industry and construction, and my practice focuses entirely on labor and employment and workers' compensation law. And for you guys that are keeping keeping track, yes, Carl is certifiable, and uh, it's a great way to kind of kick back into Denise. Denise, tell us about why you pulled us in today. So one of the scenarios I came across, gentlemen, is I had some employees who did not get along at work. They were always getting into verbal arguments at work, and one day it just full force blew up. They came to work and got into a huge fight in the parking lot and had to go get some medical care. How would you look at that, Don, if you want to start? That's a great scenario, and I know a lot of us face this when we have employees that can't get it wrong and that whole violence. So I first want to point out that OSHA, in their record-keeping regulation, they really contain no general exception for the purposes of work-related uh, the cases. So here's your bad news, Denise, because it was an act of violence in the work environment. This is recordable. So I hope you've got it on your log. I know your managers are not going to be happy about that, but you can take them to section 19047. And there's even a letter of interpretation from January 15, 2004. So it is a recordable case and OSHA would expect to see that on the log. Well, let me ask you this, Don. If you want to document what's recordable and what's not, is there a tool out there that you can use to document in your file to show why that case is recordable? Denise, that's a great thing to kind of lead into because OSHA in their regulations 
has a chart that you can follow down and go through. And I always make it really simple, and we'll talk a little bit later about the chart, but like bottom line, tree. yeah, decision tree. It's really great to go through that. Now, usually what I have at this point is I say it's recordable, and I'm just curious, what about workers' comp? Did you know how to handle that, Denise, or was that a question you wanted to run by us? No, we, we had to investigate that, but I'm curious, Carl, how would you look at that from a legal standpoint? Well, I would be concerned based upon the way you were talking that these two people were fighting, at least verbally fighting over time, and I would expect that you have some sort of bullying policy or workplace violence policy in your handbook. You should have disciplined them for that because it leads oftentimes from just arguing to bullying to actual physical violence. But what if nothing is documented that it's hearsay? Managers may have known about it, but nothing is documented and well, appropriate interactions, discipline sure. was never taken. Yep, I understand. Does that matter? It doesn't matter from a workers' comp okay. perspective. What would matter from a workers' comp perspective is whether or not this argument flowed out of actual work. Were they arguing about work? Were they arguing about whether somebody wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing at work? Or did it come from outside of work? Was it a personal fight? In my scenario that I'm talking about, it was a total personal issue. It did have anything to do with work? Well, then in that case, it would not be a compensable workers' comp injury because it didn't arise out of employment. Wait a minute, Carl. So you're telling me OSHA is going to make me record this and you're advising people that it wouldn't be a workers' comp? Man, there were huge medical costs. And I'm going to wow, Carl. For that. Wow, Carl. That's really unique. So wait a minute. I guess what Denise, it's kind of unusual because I know people, when they record it, they think it's a comp and vice versa. They think when you don't record it, it's comp. Well, and that's true. A lot of people don't realize recordability is very different from workers' compensation. And you have to look at each of those issues separately and document why something is or isn't a claim and why something is or isn't recordable. Right. So the next scenario, you've got somebody working in the construction industry doing heavy work, heavy labor. They report that they're pushing some pipes and their shoulder dislocates. So they don't tell anybody right away, but you find out the next day after they've gone to their chiropractor and they've had to have their shoulder worked on and put back into place and manipulated. And you know, Denise, this is that perfect. You mentioned the questionnaire, the decision tree. OSHA and uh, their standard, the 29 CFR 1904-7B7, lists all the first aid conditions. And one of the things is it's very comprehensible in that list. And guess what? You just talked about it. Dislocations are not on that list. So this would be a recordable injury. So you need to put that one on your log. Carl, once again, 
Can we agree on this one, maybe? Wait a minute. you saying that is not recordable? That would be recordable, Carl, at that point. So, Is it because the treatment was by a chiropractor? No, and remember the uh, level and their degree and what uh, goes on there or their certification doesn't matter. It's always the by providers. Yeah, the medical provider. It's by, you know, basically their, uh, you know, what medical treatment they got. So that so. medical treatment is similar to physical therapy. Absolutely. Okay. And it doesn't matter who delivers it. So what do you say, Carl? Can we agree that if somebody dislocates their shoulder on the job, is this one compensatable by workers' comp? Well, it's alleged that they dislocated ah, good point. shoulder. And it pains me to say that we probably agree on this All one. Right. Yeah, it, it's Carl. It's awesome. Yeah, it hurts. It really does, Don. That hurts me. Okay, yeah. so in this scenario, they happen to have had surgery on that same shoulder 10 years earlier. They've been working full duty. They're fine. But does that change either of your opinions? Sorry for me. Remember, you aggravated a pre-existing injury. OSHA wants to see it on their log. And a lot of people recognize that OSHA is just trying to prevent injuries. So they want to look at all unwanted incidents. And they, obviously, that's something you want to do. So it would be recordable, even though it may be on a weakened shoulder or something going on. You aggravated it at work. Carl? From a legal perspective, the employer takes the employee as they find them. So you hired this schmuck with a bad shoulder, shame on you, to do heavy work. And if he has had no problems for nine or ten years and all of a sudden he's got problems in the shoulder, probably going to be a worker's comp claim. However, I know you, you would more than likely get medical records for the last 20 years, look through all the <laughs> records, find out whether he's had ongoing treatment with the shoulder, um, but more than do likely. Your do your due diligence to confirm that it's actually work-related and not a result of something Correct. unrelated to work activities. We've talked just some high levels. Obviously, there's a lot of other scenarios that you might come across in your work environment. If you have questions regarding what's recordable or what's not, whether it should be covered under workers' comp or it isn't, who can people call? What resources can they reach out to to get that information or help them? Yeah, and I think after the podcast, there's going to be some information for everyone. Guys, we've given you our scenarios, what we would love to do. You've taken your time to look at the podcast and listen to it. And kind of thought about it and we always love to hear your thoughts and ideas so please email us call Bugby and Conkle leave us messages and we'd love to hear from you so thanks again guys all right so today we are having a podcast to talk about some different scenarios that you might come across in the OSHA recordability world and in the workers compensation world so I'm Denise Hansberger and I have been working in the area of workers' compensation for about 25 years. I have experience in the healthcare industry, also in manufacturing facility, and currently in the construction industry. Also, I have a certificate in occupational safety. So, both safety for our workers and employees is very important to me. And I've got 
Don Ellswick here. Hey, thanks, Denise. And I'm a uh, health and safety professor. I teach environmental safety and ock health. Have a few board certifications. I am a certified safety professional, and I also have my certified industrial hygienist. So for anyone that's keeping track, the more initials behind my name, I think it wonders if I can really function as a health and safety guy. But I think today we'll have some fun with our conversation. Like Denise, I have about 30 years of experience, government, high-speed manufacturing, and also uh, food, food, uh, food service. Yeah, people, I can't keep a job, and we'll have some people go through that. So with all that said, our next part, is Carl Havacott. Carl, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. I uh, similarly have about 27 or 28 years of experience in workers' compensation and safety law. I have a certification from the Ohio State Bar Association in workers' compensation law, certifications, a couple of different certifications in safety area, 30-hour certifications for OSHA in both general industry and construction, and my practice focuses entirely on labor and employment and workers' compensation law. And for you guys that are keeping, keeping track, yes, Carl is certifiable, and uh, it's a great way to kind of kick back into Denise. Denise, tell us about why you pulled us in today. But I had an employee who was eating lunch, cutting his meat, and stabbed himself with a knife. Believe it or not, wow. he had to be taken to the hospital and got stitches for that wound. So in that case, where do you start to look at whether it's recordable or whether it's not? Well, here's the great thing with the scenario you just put on, Denise. He's at lunch. He cuts his hand. He gets even a laceration with stitches. The great news is OSHA defined this. Under 29 CFR 1904.5B, and it's actually subpart two, it states that an injury or an illness results solely from the result of an employee eating, drinking, or preparing food for personal consumption. And basically, it's not work-related. So the good news with your injury you just went through, you are in good shape. It is not recordable. Now, I can guarantee you Carl's going to disagree with me on the comp, but for OSHA, this is not recordable. What say you, Carl? Can we agree? No, we can't. Oh, no. That is compensable. Just because it happened over lunch, it's, it, it's at work. I'll bet, Denise, did your employee get paid over lunch? They did have. They get paid for a short lunch? Yeah. Yeah. Not that that really is super critical. Well, I, and that's what I was going to ask. Does that matter? If you've got an unpaid lunch versus a paid lunch, does that make a difference in whether you would certify a worker's comp claim? Not in and of itself. If he's sitting in the building over lunch and he cuts himself, you've got an argument that it really is not compensable because they're on their own personal time. However, it's probably for the benefit of the company to have this individual sit at the facility while they're eating lunch. That way they don't get caught in traffic or whatnot, so it's probably gonna be compensable. If, however, this person was out over lunch at a restaurant. Reading my mind. Yep, at a restaurant, cutting their steak, and they 
cut their hand, that's probably not compensable. What if it's your company luncheon? It's compensable because the company has the benefit of camaraderie and they're probably paying for the food. Yeah, it's compensable. Yeah, and it's kind of unique, Denise, now that you brought that up. You know, the scenario changes if you look at the same OSHA standards, if the company actually brings in the food. So that's an important thing to consider when you're looking at recordability. It's not just part of the story. you got to look at the entire story and Wait, review you it. You mean that would be recordable if the company brought in food? Yeah, the one that's normally brought up is a foodborne illness, Carl. Think about it. If I bring in my own food and I get sick on it, then it's still under, you know, 1904-5B for the exemption for recordability. Now, if you as the employer bring the food in and I get sick, guess what? That's recordable. So it's a great thing to point out to everybody. Love the scenarios. And I, I think a lot of us have either seen somebody or been involved in motor vehicle accidents However, what if the motor vehicle accident occurs on company property? So you have one employee driving through the parking lot, trying to find a spot, not paying attention, and they hit another employee who's walking through your company-owned parking lot. Yeah, this one's really interesting with OSHA. And remember that under OSHA's rules, especially in 1904.5, injuries occurring that are not work-related are under the exemption, and that's under B2, and it talks about except injuries that are caused by motor vehicle accidents occurring in the company parking lot. So the news on this, if someone's driving in and they're still in their commuting status, is the bottom line, this would not be recordable, and the exemption would apply on 1904.5 B2. Well, are you going to agree with me? Well, <laughs> Professor, it may or may not be an agreed-upon answer. So wait a minute. An attorney's given me an answer, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Oh, wow. Okay. This because is a surprise. When Denise used these words, company-owned parking lot, that makes a difference. If it's a company-owned parking lot and the company's responsible for taking care of the parking lot, and the employees are told to park in the parking lot, then it's probably compensable. Unless the guy driving the car tried to purposely run over this other employee that because he was sleeping with his wife and it had nothing to do with work, then it's probably not compensable. It's a personal issue. Now, let's change the facts a little bit. What if it was not a company-owned parking lot? What if You're it's like in a shopping in a parking center? garage yeah. and you have to walk right. downtown to get to your building? Then you have something called the going and coming rule that might prevent this from being an allowed claim that the person hadn't really entered into the zone of employment yet. You know, they're out in the public still and they're, and they're walking into work and they get hit by another car, not even an employee, just the public then that changes things a little bit. So you're getting closer to having a disallowed claim. So again, you want to look at the specific situation, everything that led up to it, whether they were in the course and scope of employment, right? and then document why you made that decision. That's Does awesome. your recordability 
Yeah, ears are a great thing. And remember, with the exemption I'm talking about that we talked about with the company or the uh, non-company, it's still both employees are going to qualify for that exemption. So, you know, even the driver, here's the ironic thing Carl talked about. If the driver's hurt during this accident, he's not recordable. Yeah, because they hit him in the air. Absolutely, Denise. That's perfect. The exemption still applies. But it was his fault. It was his fault for not paying attention. Yeah, and here's the great thing. And we talk about this as far as OSHA recordability. It's probably not the perfect uh, measure of a safety record. So definitely at this point, I think most people are realizing from these great scenarios you brought in, Denise, maybe companies need to look at this a little bit different. So We've talked just some high levels. Obviously, there's a lot of other scenarios that you might come across in your work environment. If you have questions regarding what's recordable or what's not, whether it should be covered under workers' comp or it isn't, who can people call? What resources can they reach out to to get that information or help them? Yeah, and I think after the podcast, there's going to be some information for everyone. Guys, we've given you our scenarios, what we would love to do. You've taken your time to look at the podcast and listen to it and kind of thought about it. And we always love to hear your thoughts and ideas. So please email us, call Bugby and Conkle, leave us messages, and we'd love to hear from you. So thanks again, guys. All right, so today we are having a podcast to talk about some different scenarios that you might come across in the OSHA recordability world and in the workers' compensation world. So I'm Denise Hansberger, and I have been working in the area of workers' compensation for about 25 years. I have experience in the healthcare industry, also in manufacturing facility, and currently in the construction industry. Also, I have a certificate in occupational safety, so both safety for our workers and employees is very important to me. And I've got Don Ellswick here. Hey, thanks, Denise. And I'm a uh, health and safety professor. I teach environmental safety and ock health. I have a few board certifications. I am a certified safety professional, and I also have my certified industrial hygienist. So for anyone that's keeping track, the more initials behind my name, I think it wonders if I can really function as a health and safety guy. But I think today we'll have some fun with our conversation. Like Denise, I have about 30 years of experience, government, high-speed manufacturing, and also uh, food service. Yeah, people, I can't keep a job. And we'll have some people go through that. So with all that said, our next part, is Carl Havacott. Carl, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. I uh, similarly have about 27 or 28 years of experience in workers' compensation and safety law. I have a certification from the Ohio State Bar Association in workers' compensation law, certifications, a couple of different certifications in safety area, 30-hour certifications from OSHA in both general industry and construction, and my practice focuses entirely on labor and employment and workers' compensation law. And for you guys that are keeping keeping track, yes, Carl is certifiable, and uh, it's a great way to kind of kick back into Denise. Denise, tell us about why you pulled us in today. All right, so you have an office associate sitting in a chair, 
They stand up, go to the printer, they come back to sit down, and they miss their chair, and their head hits their desk. Ooh. So you send them to the occupational health department. They didn't need stitches, but they did have to use some butterfly sutures or some butterfly strips. Scary yeah. strips? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because think about what you're saying there. I thought you were going to go a different way. Were you going to talk about wound closing devices? And I thought, that is always recordable, Denise. I can give you that. It's not on the first. But then you threw in the exemption. Once again, the butterfly or scary strips are by definition medical treatment, but because they're not included on the first aid list, it uh, would not be, and there's some exemptions they there. Are they are included, yeah. So kind of a special scenario, but you bring up a good point. You've got to definitely look at the wound closure, and you need to get that medical report. How did they treat that? Were they stitches? or was it actually a wound-closing device? So great point there. Now, Carl, you're going to agree with me. This is compensatable, correct, or how are you going to go? Yes. Workers' comp does not care how you treat. And since they were in their, in their office yep. and performing work functions when this incident happened. Yes. What, what if this, what if they were just sitting there at their desk, minding their own business, doing nothing, and a picture that had been there for 50 years up on the wall, owned by the building, not even the company, owned by the building, falls off the wall, cracks the employee in the head. Did they get first aid or did they get medical well, treatment? They probably got the same steri strips to close the open wound. Would and that again, be recordable? Yeah, and then you're still looking at the same exemption there for the butterfly and the stereo strips, you know, because they are not included on the first aid list. So, yeah, it would be. So I don't know whether that would be compensable or not, though. Yeah. So that may or may not be. Great scenario. But he was still in the course and scope of employment sitting True. in his office. But did so it really it arise not... out of employment? Yeah, great point, though. Okay, Good so scenario. The question then would be, if you did not cover it under co compensation, under workers' comp, you'd still right. have some liability you, from you a property standpoint. Property standpoint, you might be better off just to take it as a workers' comp because then you have immunity from any other sort of lawsuit. Yeah. Yeah, Thinking right. back to our office associate, whether they were struck on the head by this picture or whether they struck their head on the desk as they fell, what if they had to be admitted to the hospital because they were concerned about a head injury? If they were observed, yeah. how would you look at that? Yeah. And what if they had to be admitted? Yeah. Is there something specific you need to look at or do when it comes to OSHA or workers' comp? Yeah, and here, as you look at it there, you can definitely tell the niche just crossed into that notification, which is under the new workers, or excuse me, the new OSHA regulations, and definitely for some of the serious injuries, and especially under the recording, Denise just hit a key point. Are they being admitted for observation, or are they being admitted for treatment? We know, we know the observation. There may not be a notification needed, but again, for the treatment, overnight stay in a hospital, you will have to make that special notification to OSHA. Yep, and 
this is an interesting fact pattern for workers' comp because if they just go into the hospital for observation and the diagnosis is head pain, they don't really have a diagnosed condition, a condition. such as yeah, contusion or uh, sprain or anything like that, just pain, then it's not compensable. And what if while they're in there, they observe this head injury and that's fine, but they find some other condition so he's admitted or some other personal health condition? And How that's do you yeah. separate those out? Well, and remember when OSHA did their uh, uh, record keeping rules, they were really trying to get the severe injury reporting. So again, they're not no, they're not really interested in if you read some of the preamble some of their non-occupational injury, they want to know about the occupational injuries. And I know Carl and I have talked about it. Here's a great question from a legal standpoint. Do you report that? Do you call your area OSHA office or do you go on? Sorry do you or go not? On to the, and use electronic reporting. And I know Carl and I will agree that you always go on the internet and do the electronic reporting, correct Carl? That's what you like to do, Don. I I like to call and schmooze them a little bit, yeah. tell them we're all over the situation, but we just need to, to comply with the law and let you know what's going on. And, and see, and this more is... More often than not, if you're not sure in the cases where I've called, they've said, finish your pack pattern, you're good for now, just yeah. call us back if things change. Yeah, but see, now, Carl and I, I know this is going to be hard to believe, disagree, because I'm always like, do the electronic. I can control my information. I can report what answers they need. And I think when they get on the phone, they may get nervous and share something they don't want to. Maybe if you're a smooth operator like Carl, you wouldn't do it, but some of the clients may not be able to do that. So... See, this is a good one. Once again, Denise, you found an area Carl and I can't agree. That's amazing. We didn't even plan this. We talked just some high levels. Obviously, there's a lot of other scenarios that you might come across in your work environment. If you have questions regarding what's recordable or what's not, whether it should be covered under workers' comp or it isn't, who can people call? What resources can they reach out to to get that information or help them? Yeah, and I think after the podcast, there's going to be some information for everyone. Guys, we've given you our scenarios, what we would love to do. You've taken your time to look at the podcast and listen to it and kind of thought about it. And we always love to hear your thoughts and ideas. So please email us, call Bugby and Conkle, leave us messages, and we'd love to hear from you. So thanks again, guys. For more information, visit www.bugbylawyers.com or you can contact attorney Carl Habikos by phone at 419-244-6788 or Donald Ellswick by phone at 419-788-6162 or you can email him at lsmart, that's E-L-S-M-A-R-T-0101 at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.